All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, hello, Gunner. Hello, everyone. Um, got a special treat. Uh, we got a follow-up episode from, jeez, uh, uh, it was uh, two years ago. Uh, you know, we, we had... like that. Yeah. Yeah. We we're, were talking about uh, Anarx and all that, and, and we got an update. And, and so we got Mike Purcell and Nathaniel McCallum here to tell us about uh, what they're up to with Anarx, but specifically um, confidential computing, uh, and where we're going to go with that. So uh, welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's good to be here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah. So, um, so Nathaniel, I, I know we all know Mike uh, from the previous uh, episode that he was on, but I don't think I don't think we introduced you. Um, so let's do you want to give us a quick uh, name, rank, serial number, all that? Sure. Uh, so my name is Nathaniel McCollum, as you as you mentioned. Um, I am the CTO of Profian, uh, which is a confidential computing startup. Uh, we founded the, the company um, last year, uh, a year ago. We just passed our one-year anniversary, so hooray for that. And uh, before that, uh, I was the virtualization security architect at Red Hat, uh, and I've been involved in uh, a number of companies, uh, IBM, Canonical, uh, Xenos, uh, Cypress Semiconductor uh, throughout the industry. So I have a, a long history in uh, performance and cryptography. Uh, I'm the inventor of the one of the inventors of the McCollum Relay Key Exchange, and uh, that's basically led to uh, where we are today, which is uh, having a startup in the confidential computing space. Awesome. I awesome. should also point out that, like me, he's an ancient language geek. So. Um... We, uh, yeah, he's going to be correcting your your motto, which still needs correction. It's terrible. I, I yeah, I mean, you get what you pay for. Um, so yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So Mike, you you have an update too in terms of you were a red hatter uh, back when we we had the initial conversation. What's what's new with you? I I was a red hatter, and I like Nathaniel um, uh, left. Us, we're the co-founders of Profian, the startup. So I'm the CEO. He's a CTO. We. Uh, we tossed a coin and then realized that it was irrelevant because he's much better at coding and anything like that than I am. So we decided that's definitely what uh, I should be the CEO and he should be the CTO. And they they don't let me write code anymore, which is probably a good thing. So okay. yeah, that's uh, that's it. Nice, nice. And that that's all part of uh, the it, it's a feature, right? Not a bug uh, of the security technology that you guys are developing. Is that you're not involved writing it? I, I think that. Generally, Nathaniel would agree with that, particularly because yeah. I keep threatening to put some Perl in the code base and he's not having any. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's a nice Perl. Yeah, That's good. We are a Perl-free code base. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, so uh, we mentioned, uh, Nathaniel, you mentioned confidential computing. You know, I hear about like that, trusted computing, secure computing. What What's the difference? Is it all the same? How do you, how do you separate them? How do you, how do you classify them? Yeah, they're not the same. And that is a really great question. Um, unfortunately, we have a tendency in the industry to pick buzzwords that are really similar to each other. And so it doesn't aid in the understanding. Um, so trusted computing was a technology uh, that grew up many years ago now, uh, 15, uh, maybe even 20 years ago, um, which uh, is basically what we would call TPMs, right? TPMs are the, are, are the hardware, the physical reality that backs uh, the, the marketing moniker of trusted computing. And the idea of TPMs, <laughs> 
is basically just to have uh, some sort of cryptographic entity that's associated with the hardware that can do cryptographic operations in a limited sense um, and can sort of tie things cryptographically to hardware. Uh, it had a lot of uh, has a lot of positive uh, uses, but it also had a bad reputation because it came to be associated with technologies like DRM, for example. Right. Right. And so, um, what TPMs do not do uh, is they do not uh, protect the uh, cryptographic operations from the operating system. So, uh, when you want to actually interface with the TPM and and maybe do some encryption or some signing. Uh, the CPU sees what's going on, you know, through that whole process, and anything in the system uh, that has uh, sufficient privileges, uh, such as having root access, or you know, if you're ring zero on uh, on an Intel uh, box, um, you can actually see all what's happening with the cryptographic operations. Now, you can't see the keys; those are inside mm -hmm. of the hardware, which is which is the thing that the TPM provides. Um, but you can see everything else. You can see all the plain text of the of the uh, of the um, you know the thing you're encrypting. Confidential computing is something that is remarkably different. And mm -hmm. what it does is it basically tapes, takes hardware that's similar to a TPM, uh, does cryptographic operations, but it puts it right on the memory controller. And so you can actually then encrypt regions of the memory uh, of your system using uh, different cryptographic keys. And these are managed by the CPU and its firmware. Um, but this gets combined with a couple other technologies, things like uh, protecting uh, the registers during context switches and, uh, and things like being able to prove uh, cryptographically what is actually inside a region of memory. We call this process attestation. And when you combine these technologies, something really exciting emerges, which is the ability to do computation where the computation is not observable or tamperable by the host. So even if you are root, uh, even if you have ring zero access, you can't see what's happening inside of this computation. Uh, you can't see the code that's executing or the memory that's being uh, you know, being uh, manipulated. Um, all of that is available only to the CPU and its firmware. And so mm -hmm. for the first time, we have sort of protection against root, uh, which I think is a, a really fantastic thing. But it allows us to do things that weren't actually possible before in the computing industry. And so uh, this is the thing that's really excited is that it's a primitive that we can use to build really exciting new things on top. Mike? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to step back and give you the short and um, not quite as technical answer to what's the difference between a TPM uh, and uh, confidential computing. So uh, the way I think of it is TPMs are great, but you can't do general computing in them. You can only do these cryptographic operations. Whereas confidential computing uses trust execution environments. And basically, they are capabilities as part of the CPU, which allow you to encrypt memory to stop anybody, including root or hypervisor or kernel or admin or malicious um, you know, compromised machines, whatever, from looking inside your application. So basically, you can write applications and run them encrypted. So the data mm -hmm. in use is protected. I just said the same thing as Nathaniel, but kind of looking at it from the different direction, I think. So. Right, right. No, I, I, I love it. Um, and that's where, like, you know, for somebody that isn't knee deep in this every day, you hear things like TPM and TE and you know, it, it, it all blurs together, right? And absolutely. So a TPM is a, a chip on the motherboard, generally, which can do these small number of operations. A TE is basically a uh, uh, something which created by a, a, a CPU, uh, probably in the future, GPUs and stuff. We'll maybe come to that mm -hmm. later on. But basically, mm -hmm. the CPU creates what's called a trusted execution 
environment. And that is where you do your confidential computing. And um, currently, there's there's two uh, on the market. Um, there's uh, Intel's SGX technology, and there's uh, AMD's SEV technology. Now, other folks have uh, said they are going to be producing stuff as well, um, and that's an interesting set of conversations. So ARM have got some stuff out there. Um, IBM have talked about some things. Intel has a new generation. Um, it's worth noting what isn't confidential computing, however, um, and that is AWS Nitro. That's a kind of interesting mm. conversation to have as well. But, um, yeah, so think Intel and AMD standard server chips. They're, they're in the cloud mm -hmm. now. You can buy them right now if you want to. So it's actually ready to use and deploy. So, Mike, so, uh, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is that, oh, you know, Root can't see what's going on. Yep. You know, uh, nobody can see what's going on. The cloud provider can't see what's going on. And that's that's Take where that. things really get interesting, right? That is where things really get interesting because let's say you are in a heavily regulated industry, banking, healthcare, pharmaceutical, telco, um, or, or just, you know, that you you really care about not allowing your customers um, or, or your most secret information to be to be going out any, anywhere. At the moment, if you really care about this stuff or you're heavily regulated, you have to run everything on-prem mm -hmm. because you just can't, your regulators won't let you put stuff on the cloud. With these technologies, with confidential computing, you could put stuff on the cloud and prove to your regulator, prove to your auditor, prove to your CISO that it is protected cryptographically. And that's a huge thing because suddenly you can start deploying stuff to the cloud or the edge or on-prem with the same protections, the same assurances, and you can prove that cryptographically every time you deploy it. It's just a completely different way of looking about how we do computing. And that's why we're so excited about it and why we started the NARCS project, what, nearly four mm -hmm. years ago when we were at Red Hat. Okay. Okay. So, you know, then then the thing I think about is the bootstrapping, right? Uh, or the chicken and egg, right? Where it's like, how do you get started in terms of like, you know, creating this trusted environment, uh, you know, and, and making sure that it's trusted? And, and can you walk through how that, you know, sort of like how a bill becomes a law sort of process? Yeah, we have a particular view on this in the Enox project. And I should I should say that it's a bit different to how some other folks do it. I'll give you the very basic how how you do it. And then I'm going to let, let Nathaniel talk through how we take it very seriously. So mm -hmm. and the, the approach we take. So the basic idea is that you get um, you create one of these trusted execution environments, uh, an instance of one of those, and you put some stuff in it and then you. Uh, you get a, a cryptographic measurement. And then you check that using what uh, Nathaniel mentioned before, using attestation. And if that attestation is good, then you know that what you're running is protected. But there's a problem, which is that if the thing you wanted to protect was sensitive itself and it was spoofed, then you've lost it. So, Nathaniel, why don't you talk about talk through the, the, the way we think of the world and, and why it's different? Because it, it, we think it's really important, that bit. Sure. So, basically, what happens is uh, you start off with the, with the NRX runtime, right? And that should really be your starting place uh, for, for any type of uh, trusted execution environment. Uh, it's a really easy onboarding step. And so you're basically going to start, and, and the easiest mode is to just run some WebAssembly locally. So we, we use WebAssembly as a way to make sure we have functional equivalents 
uh, across different uh, hardware. And we'll talk about what that means in a little bit. Uh, so you compile your application to WebAssembly and you can just run it in NARCs and you can do that directly and simply with a single uh, command execution uh, and that will work. It'll set up a TE for you, it'll run the application, uh, but getting it running is not actually the interesting part, right? The interesting part is really about how you can prove all of the invariance of what's happening in this TEE to other people, because that's how you build trust. And this is fundamentally a technology about trust. And so, uh, so what we actually really need to do is we need to not just launch an application. We want to, first of all, not disclose the application to the host before we run it. So we don't actually want to run that WebAssembly binary directly. We want to run it indirectly. Uh, the second thing is that uh, we want uh, an assurance that, um, that the software is signed and, and hasn't been manipulated. We also want the ability to, uh, to make sure that the, the platform has the same measurement regardless of the workload. So when you uh, start with the with NRX, uh, the easiest way is to actually upload your application into something we call Drawbridge. Drawbridge is a store for WebAssembly applications, uh, very similar to you know Docker Hub in the in the mm -hmm. container world. Uh, although it has specific integrations precisely for confidential computing. Uh, specifically, it knows how to handle attestations and disclose things responsibly. And so now you can actually do an, an NRX deployment. So you type NRX deploy and the name of the application from, uh, from the drawbridge repository. And now NRX is going to start up and it's gonna perform an attestation to a, a, a third uh, entity called Steward. Steward is the attestation service and it's gonna receive a cryptographic attestation of the base platform of NRX, which is the same for all runtimes. So we're mm -hmm. not disclosing anything specific about your workload, right? And all of this is open source. So you know exactly what's going in, into this platform. So we begin uh, by doing an attestation to the steward. The steward validates that cryptographic measurement and says, yes, in fact, this is the, a trusted base runtime. Nothing has been tampered with. Um, you know, it's signed by the proper entities uh, and so forth and so on. And once all the validation checks have passed, it issues a certificate to that particular uh, keep. We call our trusted uh, execution environments keeps. And, uh, and so once the keep has a certificate, it can now speak to drawbridge and it can ask for its application. Notice that we only are downloading the workload after the keep has already been brought up and it's already encrypted. So the host doesn't see what's going on. It doesn't know what application you're deploying. We fetch the application from drawbridge and now we're off to the races. Most importantly, every time that application uh, speaks to someone else, the certificate that it provides over the TLS channel to, to secure the routes between applications also contains the cryptographic measurement of the entire application, as well as its name and uh, what, what was retrieved from Drawbridge. This is the thing that really allows us to uh, deploy networks of services at scale where they can all trust each other cryptographically, mm -hmm. and we can actually bring that trust beyond just a single node, but uh, to, into meshes of applications. So basically, you load the runtime and the runtime is is open source and you can check mm -hmm. that it is what you think it is. And if that is attested and that is known good uh, and you can prove cryptographically that it is um, in a keep, only then do we release the application into the keep. Um, and and as Nathaniel said, you know, you you can you can tell if you connect to it, not only is it running in a keep, but it's also the application you thought it was, which makes mm -hmm. for some really interesting um use cases to do with things like secure multi-party compute. So um, confidential computing is part of a family of uh, technologies, uh, which we're hearing about a lot at the moment, called um, 
privacy enhancing technologies, PETs, um, mm -hmm. uh, different to uh, the the pets you have in uh, in, in computing in the cloud. But PETs, and cattle, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's not that. Don't think that at all. Um, so PETs, uh, the things like fully homomorphic encryption um, or uh, secure multi-party computation and confidential computing. And the thing about confidential computing is because you're just running a standard application, you can do generalized compute. You don't have to design your application specially to mm -hmm. use particular mathematical abstractions or whatever it is, which is kind of the way you have to do it for some of these other technologies. You write an application in the way we do it in NRX, um, you compile it to WebAssembly and you can just run it. And um, I, I, we kind of glossed over the WebAssembly thing a bit, didn't we? Because the WebAssembly, for those people who don't know it, um, started off in the browser. It was kind of a, let's do JavaScript a bit better than it was done before, mm -hmm. right? Or let's try and do it right. Uh, and once people did that, they suddenly realized, actually, there's some really useful um, uh, things you can do with it in the server space. Because um, it, it, you can pr create an application, compile it, from one of multiple languages, uh, C, C++, Go, Rust, Python, um, COBOL, Haskell, you know, all of these things if, you, if you're so inclined. Um, and, and you get the same binary. And it'll run um, on little Endian or big Endian machines. So you can run it on your Raspberry Pi. You can run it on, um, on, on a Linux box, on a Windows box. And I guess that's S390 if you could compile it down to that. But, you know, the, the point is that you get the same binary uh, and mm -hmm. it'll run across everything, which is great for us because, as Nathaniel mentioned, we have this um, being able to prove the equivalence of the workload so that if you're deploying it to, let's say, an SGX machine and an AMD machine, you know you're getting exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same mm -hmm. binary. So mm -hmm. WebAssembly is a great thing. Uh, the Bytecode Alliance is the uh, kind of... Uh, industry consortium that's that's running that on the server side a great bunch of people we're 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 members of that um and uh, yeah can't can't speak highly enough of of web assembly and it's a, getting really a lot of excitement in the industry at the moment really worth looking at and you don't need to learn a new language you use your right. existing languages and compile to it you get lots of great benefits um beyond what we're doing with it yeah, and, and as and as Mike said, the, the functional equivalence is really important to us because if you're doing a cryptographic operation in a way that's measured, right, you need to know what the workload is. But if you are compiling to native code and you're running this on separate platforms, you now have a, a measurement explosion because even though you're running the same workload on multiple different platforms, they all have completely different measurements. And so how mm -hmm. do you know that they're equivalent to one another? Uh, WebAssembly gives us that functional equivalence. We can know that if we deploy a WebAssembly workload on Intel or on AMD or on ARM or on other platforms in the future, um, that the measurement of the workload itself is going to be the same. And so for people who are validating this, right, it becomes very, very easy to say, is this the same workload as that, right? Can we prove that those are the same? Well, just look at the hashes. They're the same in, in both cases. WebAssembly also does something else really interesting for us, which is that um, 
we need to be able to say, as I, said, as I mentioned before, the value in confidential computing is not bringing up a single node. It's bringing up a node within a mesh of nodes that you can mm -hmm. communicate to and extend the trust across systems. Uh, that's where all of the real value lies. And so uh, we need to be able to do this in a way that's efficient. So we need, we need TLS everywhere and we need, uh, we need to be able to communicate the measurements of, of these things uh, everywhere. And WebAssembly allows us to hit that sweet spot Today in, in cloud computing, uh, you can basically deploy on like bare metal or virtual machines. Both of those are, are pretty heavyweight. Um, you can deploy uh, using containers, which are a much better experience, which is why everyone loves them and uses mm -hmm. them. Or there's a huge gap, right? Where we go from containers all the way down to, to, to serverless, right? Functions as a service. And with functions as a service, you don't have to manage an operating system, but you have, uh, you do have a very limited number of things that you can do. And what we've noticed is that there's really a big gap there between functions as a service and containers. And we're trying to plug that sweet spot with WebAssembly, where we can give you all of these properties that you want. You get something that is uh, substantially more powerful than just a function as a service, uh, but also has all the properties that you don't have to manage an operating system. You get a small trusted computing base for your, uh, for your encryption and so forth. Mm -hmm. That And that's it. That's he just... Um, glossed over that, the trusted compute base is a big thing here, right? Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. one of the, when you're running an application, whether it's on the cloud or on-prem, you have generally to trust so many different things, right? You've got, let's say, let's start from, well, you've got to trust the uh, the, the hardware. You've got to trust a, the, the, the CPU, right? Because mm -hmm. something's got to run it. But you also need to trust all of the other pieces on on the motherboard probably uh and then of course there's the bios and uefi and the bootloader and then the kernel and then the other os binaries and then maybe a hypervisor and then um you know user space uh libraries and any other applications which are running in the same namespace and all of this stuff right and mm -hmm. that's scary mm -hmm. i mean and we're seeing that uh, you know, the U.S. government, for instance, trying to talk about supply chain. How do you mm -hmm. manage all of those different pieces? So the route we've taken with the Enarx project, oh, enarx.dev, visit it, have a play, loads of loads of stuff, enarx.dev. The, the uh, approach we've taken there is say, you know what? You should need to trust only three things on the host, three things. One is the CPU and firmware because, well, Something's got to run the code, right? So you've got to trust that. Mm -hmm. but you don't need to trust the rest of the, the hardware components, just that, okay? Next is your application. And you wrote the application, right? Or you bought it from mm -hmm. someone, so you kind of got to trust that. And the third one is the NARCS runtime. That is all open source. Um, it's written in Rust with a tiny bit of um, assembly code right at the bottom. Um, we provide reproducible builds so you can check it yourself. And um, the entire runtime comes to under 15 meg. Mm. And what does that compare to, Nathaniel? I mean, for example, what's oh, it's, it's It's certainly less than the size of the BIOS uh, and bootloader in a virtual machine. Right? So not, in, not even in the kernel yet, not even in user space. And so when we, you know, this is the way we look at the world. And um, so some, some of the dangers about how you use confidential computing in the cloud, some of the ways that certain um, providers doing it is saying, you know what, just start a VM and put your VM in there in one of these trusted execution environments and um, it'll all be fine. But if you do that, you've got a number of problems. Firstly, 
as I said, you've got to trust the entire entirety of your of your um of your stack of your of your VM right. image. But also, there's another thing. Um, in order for VMs in a standard way to work in the cloud, they need a bootloader, typically a UEFI, right? Mm -hmm. And that comes from the CSP. Mm -hmm. And if the whole point of using confidential computing is that you don't trust the CFP, CSP, and the first thing you do when you load up your confidential computing workload is take their, their, their BIOS, their UEFI, you've mm -hmm. just wiped out any of the gains that you could have proved before. So that's mm -hmm. why we don't do that. Why we only ever put our um, TCB, the NLX runtime, inside one of these uh, trusted execution environments. Yeah, it's a, well, it's also a smaller attack surface too, right? It's you know, All less of it. the trust. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and one of sorry, funny. Oh, another key benefit of of doing it this way is that we get the network stack outside of the TCB. Mm -hmm. So if you look uh, historically at the Linux kernel, you'll see that uh, a very high percentage of the uh, the worst bugs and worst you know, security features uh, in terms of their vulnerability, right? Um, these are almost all network parsing. So the, when you talk about being able to send funny network packets to a system and get root access, right? Th these are the worst kind of vulnerabilities that, that you have. And, and um, we want that outside of the TCB, right? We want mm -hmm. if, yeah, maybe they do get access to the host if they send that kind of funky network packet. They get access to the host, but we, as we've already said, we, we can protect against roots. So even if they get access to the host, they don't get access to the application or its data, uh, which, mm -hmm. is a, which is a really big security win. So this is kind of how we thought about the world um, when we came up with the NOTS project. Obviously, you know, we've, we've refined it as we've, we've gone on. And about a year ago, we start, did a startup called Profian based on the NOTS project. Um, Red Hat, very supportive of that effort. Um, we're very good friends with them. It's been, it's been great really keeping, keeping those, uh, those links going. Um, because we, we felt that we wanted to take this to the world, allow people to use it. Um, we wanted to allow people to... Uh, run confidential com computing workloads um, and to uh, to be able to trust a provider to to do the attestation because the key part of this you know we talked about those the pieces where you have to attest the mm -hmm. uh, before you put anything in so you, if if you can't trust that attestation game game is over so we uh, Profian are providing a SaaS service based around that attestation and, and the drawbridge the the, the the uh, registry we talked about before. And one of the key things here is again, and we talked about keeping the CSP out of the, uh, of the trust relationship, right? Um, and, and the, um, one of the, one of the things at the moment is the CSPs are desperate for people to use this technology, but basically they get to charge people more for using existing chips and they get to have more people put more apps. Of course they want to use it. Right. But it's, Currently, the infrastructure isn't there. So they are doing their own attestation, mm -hmm. which is basically saying it's marking your own homework. I say to you, right. um, Dave, um, could you please put this in a trust execution environment? And you say yes. I say, okay. And can you prove to me uh, that it is, uh, it's safe? You say yes. And I say, oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, basically, we can help the cloud providers and everyone else by saying you don't need to do that actually um 
and they they understand this, right? The, 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 they actually they need the infrastructure out out there to happen to to happen to allow this to happen. So our view is that this stuff should be easy to use, right? And mm -hmm. uh, we chose WebAssembly because it's got lots of different languages you can compile from. We chose WebAssembly because it allows us to run on these different chipsets. We chose WebAssembly because we can run it on different cloud, um, uh, you know, different CSPs, and that is. Um, and, and reducing the the difficulty of, of using these new technologies is what we're all about. And mm -hmm. we are aiming to get devs trying it. Um, mm -hmm. You may have spotted, however, there's a problem. And in order to do this, you need specific hardware, right? You need these chips. And they're on fairly expensive hardware, and most people don't have them. Mm -hmm. So what have we done, Nathaniel? We've created a website. It's called try.enarx.dev. If you go to try.enarx.dev, within a few clicks, you can have one of our predefined workloads up and running inside of a keep. You can interact with it. You can see how it works. Uh, you can upload applications, your own custom applications to Drawbridge, and you can deploy them uh, there, and you can see the deployment's actually working. You can also upload a WebAssembly file directly if that's your inclination. So uh, basically, you can you can try it today. You just go to your browser and uh, you know, write your own application and get it deployed on real hardware today. There's no cost for this service. We just want people to experience and know that it is possible today to actually do this. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a number of example applications, and we'll be adding to these example applications written in a number of languages. All of the examples are, of course, open source. So you can take them, you can hack on them, you can try uploading them yourself. So you know the idea is literally just a few clicks and you are deploying stuff. You need to log in uh, via GitHub. We need to control this so people don't abuse mm -hmm. the service, basically. Um, but as long as you've got a GitHub ID, um, you can get in. If you want more time to use it, um, star the project will actually give you a bit, a few, you know, a few more seconds uh, or minutes to be to be trying the, the service out as well. Okay, so got a couple devil's advocate questions. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So my cloud's fed ramped. I don't have to worry about security. What what would what would you say? It's like what you know. It's like well, I already had somebody come in. They they blessed it and. We're good to go. I mean, so th yeah. there, there is no secure, right? There is no perfectly secure, and we know that. And what um, what confidential computing allows you to do is, uh, the very least, more defense and depth. And it's mm -hmm. based in hardware, which means that again, you don't need to be trusting all the different FedRAMP things in the way that you did before, right? So you don't need to be, uh, yeah, I'm not saying you shouldn't make sure you have all the supply chain stuff and keep the manifest mm -hmm. and stuff. When it comes down to the things you're trusting, the, you know, the, the, the TCB is much, much smaller. So mm -hmm. there's also some interesting use cases, which um, we probably shouldn't go to in too much detail here, around um, uh, different classification levels. Um, and how you might think about confidential computing in those sorts of environments, mixing uh, classification levels in rather interesting ways. Because basically, mm -hmm. this allows you to create trust domains um, in uh, in interesting uh, interesting ways. So FedRAMP, not saying it's a bad thing, it's absolutely not something that, that you right. know, def definitely needed. But this provides you with different types and different levels of assurance for the things you care about the most. And unsurprisingly, we are seeing a lot of interest from U.S. federal, U.S. public sector, but also, you know, from from banking, uh, pharma, mm -hmm. healthcare, a bunch of other folks as well.
And, and just because your data center is FedRAMP, it, it doesn't mean that you don't have different security levels within the infrastructure that you're trying to deploy. And having mm -hmm. a FedRAMP data center doesn't, doesn't solve those problems at all. Um, so if, you, if you're deploying you know, three different trust domains uh, on a FedRAMP hardware, but you want to be able to flow the applications dynamically to be able to have a good resource utilization across those boundaries, how do you do that? Well, NRX gives you the ability to do that. Uh, FedRAMP does not. Um, mm -hmm. The ability to uh, mix data in interesting ways across trust domains. So uh, you know, the, the problem of uh, shared multi-party computers is a really tough one that we believe we can solve. Uh, that is, I want to do some processing on some data, but I don't own the data, right? Other parties own the data, and they're not willing to disclose that data to me. Um, so what I can do is I can bring up a keep and they can connect to that keep and they can have provable assurance that that software is running in a way that is untampered. It's the software they know and it, it can't be tampered with. And so now before they submit their data, they have this proof. And once they're uh, happy with that proof, they can all then submit data uh, into this trusted area. Again, FedRAMP doesn't help with that problem. Uh, right. Confidential computing helps with that problem. And so uh, there's a variety of these use cases. Uh, we find more every day. We're seeing lots of interest from, from all over the industry. Um, and we believe that we, we have the primitives to be able to do these things in an effective and scalable way. That, that's, that's the thing. That's why we ended up creating the project and then actually starting the company in that we really believe that this allows you to think about computing in a different way. Mm -hmm. Think about how you architect your applications, how you architect your deployments in a different way. Um, and I just think that's really, really exciting. You know, we now we know that the perimeter is dead. Zero mm -hmm. trust helps with some stuff, but it doesn't do a good enough job. If you want real zero trust, confidential computing can really, really help you with that. So mm -hmm. that's what excites me. It's about you can just do new things, think about computing in a different way. And that's that's why I'm in doing what I'm doing, frankly. Yeah. So how so as as I think about it in the literal sense, you've solved confidential computing, right? Um, that's the computation part. But what about things like talking to a GPU or networking or you know something that is outside yeah. that boundary how do you how do you manage so that? there's 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 stuff coming for that so basically at the moment mm -hmm. the uh, the industry is uh is fairly immature but there have been some announcements uh, about hardware that's coming because in order to set up those sorts of trust relationships you need to have trust anchors in those mm -hmm. Uh, and there's different components. So, um, for instance, you know, there's been talk about GPUs. I think probably we'll see some DPUs as well in the future coming out, which do this. And then you need to be able to establish trust relationships between them. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I absolutely expect to see that fairly soon. Nathaniel, anything you want yeah, to add to that? You, you had asked about networking in specific. Um, one of the things that's really important is that NRCs is a battery include batteries included platform. Um, so whenever we write data to the network, it's encrypted. When we write data to the disk, it's encrypted. So you get those assurances uh, you know, out of the box, as it were. Uh, in terms of additional hardware, um, NVIDIA has announced, uh, for example, that they're going to be bringing confidential computing to their GPUs. Um, th there is... Uh, some interesting questions about how we establish those trust relationships, and the industry hasn't solved all those problems yet. Um, but we believe that WebAssembly is a really good choice here yet again, uh, because it allows us to basically take uh, a, a small portion of executable, route it through a chain into the party that's actually going to consume that, 
uh, and then just in time compile it right right at that endpoint. Have that functional equivalence, right? That way we know not only which CPU it's executing on and which GPU, but the, we get functional equivalence all the way across. And so uh, you know, this is really the thing. WebAssembly really gives us the agility that we need to be able to build this kind of a system, uh, you know, in ways that we were not able to in the past. Okay. Can can you guys like I know we talked about it in in the abstract uh, in terms of you know confidential computing. Can you give me an example? of like what would uh, a typical confidential computing example be uh, like in, in the business world or government world or whatever, like what would be I'll like let, that sweet spot? I'll let Nathaniel give you a simple one and I'll, I'll give you a slightly more complex one. So do you want to... Which is the simple one I'm supposed to give? Well, yeah, I mean, how about credit card processing, right? Yeah, credit card processing is a great one because it's essentially a, a proxy, right, uh, where you are just submitting uh, data to this proxy. Um, but the party that's receiving the data doesn't really want you tampering with that process. So if I'm a credit card processor and I'm going to run my software, you know, inside of, of your network, I want to make sure that that process can't be trusted with or it can't be tampered with. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I can actually deploy that on your hardware, right? And this is the important thing. I don't need my own special dedicated hardware. I don't need my own special FedRAMP. Uh, you know, data center to be able to do this. I just need to start a process within your own infrastructure. And now whenever I can communicate to it, I have all the assurances that it's exactly my software that's running in there. And you can submit all of your, you know, credit card transactions to it. I can process them all locally on your system, uh, but I don't disclose that data anywhere else. And so you sort of get standards regulation, uh, you know, re regulated industry uh, support baked into this platform because uh, you're never leaving that trust envelope, which is, which is really uh, the thing we're trying to accomplish, the ability to have portable trust in the same way right. that VMs brought us portable operating systems, we need portable trust. Nice. So, so my more complex one, which I love because a customer came to us with this, is um, let's say you're a big pharmaceutical company. And in order to do drug research, you want to um, do lots of processing on lots of uh, patient data, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is that if I'm a hospital and I give you access to that, pa that patient data, you've got it now. I can't restrict how you use it, right? Um, so that's that's not great. I don't want to share it with you. So here's, here's what you can do. You, the pharmaceutical company, can write an application and you show it to the hospital. You say, look, this application will only ever look at this data and will only ever export this type of data. And you're cool with that. That's good. Okay, fine. So you now take the cryptographic hash of that and you share it with the hospital and they check it's the one they think. Right, so now they, you, the pharmaceutical company, load your application into a keep, and the hospital can connect to that keep and check two things. Firstly, that it is running in a keep and therefore it's protected. Secondly, that the, the application it's giving its data to, that you're giving your data to, the hospital, is the one that you looked at before. Mm -hmm. So you can now put your data in that. In fact, other hospitals can as well without being concerned that A, hospital B, you know, hospital A can't see hospital Bs, but also that the you know, pharmaceutical company can't do more to the data than you had agreed in the first place. But there's a whole bunch of different use cases for that, uh, credit scores or, um, uh, yeah, things like VA benefits, um, mm -hmm. no, it turns money out. Money laundering. 
Uh, money laundering. Uh, we're, yeah, we're not suggesting you should be doing laundering. We've been checking that money laundering isn't happening. Please don't suggest anti-money that laundering. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, probably we, better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or or do both. You could just uh, have a bigger addressable market. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, the the White House has actually launched a, a whole uh, competition for uh, for the anti money laundering uh, problem, which is that we want to be able to develop models for detecting money laundering, but the data that we need in order to develop those models exists and, and is owned by multiple different parties who don't want to disclose it to each other. And mm-hmm. so, how do we actually solve this problem? Confidential computing can solve this problem in a way that is effortless. You don't have to rewrite your applications for morphic encryption. Uh, you don't have to accept the huge performance penalties that come with, with technologies like chromomorphic encryption. Uh, you can have a, a similar development experience to what you're used to, a similar deployment experience than w- to what you're used to, but you get all of these other guarantees as part of this process. Cool. Cool. No, and I, I can imagine too, as like you, you alluded to it, like I'm thinking public sector and intelligence community, different classification levels where it's like, yeah, you just want a yes or no answer, right? You don't, yep. you, don't you know, it's like, is this a good guy or, or a bad or guy? Even, or even interagency or inter, you know, you know, five eyes. How do you combine um, information without leaking it uh, and exposing it? Uh, and these are difficult problems and these provide ways of addressing them. Uh, so this is, as you said, I think you, ha- you can think about how you do computing in a whole new way. That's what's really exciting about this stuff. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So what's what's next for for what you guys are doing? Well, we uh, we just hit a minimum viable product um, in August. Uh, we're we're talking August twenty twenty two, which means that um, you know we will be announcing some customers uh, soon, which is which is great news. Um, but we want people to use it, play with it, and see what happening. What's happening? We want just developers, you know, people who write applications, having a go, telling us what they'd like to see next. It's an open source project, not just the, the, the code, but we do our stand-ups in the open. All of our issues are in the open. All of that. We want people giving it a go and trying it and helping us build that community. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're passionate about the openness, the transparency and all of that. And we invite everyone to have a look. Look, and if you know if you're a, a CISO or a security architect, come to our website, profian.com, and you know, find the materials, the white papers, all of that, get in touch, and we'd love to talk to you about that. You don't have to be a geek to uh, to get excited about this stuff. Cool, cool. Okay, guys. Well, this was a lot. Um, um, Mike, you ought to write a book about this. Uh, I mean, this is like um, as as it happens, I have written yeah. a book about this. Maybe we should do another another um, episode on that. Yeah, um, that's a great idea, Mike. We should do that. Yeah. Okay. In the meantime, yeah. if people want to read ahead, it's called uh, "Trusting Computer Systems in the Cloud" and it's published by Wiley. So uh, yeah, available yeah. from all good bookstores. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, uh, they should check it out. And uh, we mentioned, holy cow, we mentioned a lot of things here. Uh, but Mike, if if people need to. Uh, look up all the different things that we talked yeah, about. So if, um, if people yeah. are interested in getting the podcast feed, if they want show notes, if they want to send cease and desist letters to uh, you and Gunnar, uh, or they mm-hmm. want to provide better translations, they should definitely go to dgshow.org. So https curl slash slash dgshow.org. It's the best place. Or they could always tweet you, I guess. Do you, right. they, you're happy? They could tweet you at, at dgshow.org. Um, 
uh, all spelt out, and they you could you'll tell them you'll talk to them about it, right? Yeah, yeah. That's we have, we have uh, our intern that uh, they twenty four seven. They have a a pager uh, that every Quite time right you to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If you want to lend them to us at some point, as long as it's free, I, I guess you don't pay interns, right? Yeah, no, they're expendable. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey, this was amazing. Um, I, this is this is great, and, and like we alluded to, we'll we'll have Mike back on to talk about his book, and we could double click on a lot of these things that we talked about. But um, yeah, Nathaniel, Mike, um, just thanks for joining, and uh, we'll, I can't wait for us to do a follow on to hear what you guys are up to next. Great, thanks a lot. Thanks, Dave. It was a pleasure.